Thank you. There we go. It's good to be here. I'm really excited. It's going to surprise you, but I'm, I'm really excited about what the Lord has placed in my heart to, to share with you. Um, if you haven't been here, you're stepping into a, into a series we've been doing over the month of uh, February called The Father's Heart. The Father's Heart. And what we've been doing is just really asking the question, you know, what's, what is the Father's heart? How, how is the Father's heart revealed in Scripture? And one of the places I, I think that we see the love of the Father, we see his heart for us and for the world, is through the prophets. Specifically, uh, we've been looking at the minor prophets. And it's kind of a strange place to look. I mean, I've shared with you each and every week. Some of us maybe skip over these, or maybe we've read them a few times. Uh, if you've never read them, don't feel guilty. But they're, they're a great read. Majority of the minor prophets is prophecy that's a correction. It's, it's a lot of it's very, very harsh, calling the nation of Israel back into following God. Uh, a lot of it is talking about judgment. A lot of the minor prophets are uh, focused on talking about specific sins and what God's going to do to correct his nation. And so we kind of miss sometimes. I think I, it wasn't even, you know, full, uh, full disclosure. Like, it wasn't something that I ever read them through this lens before. But God just kind of revealed this to me. This, all of this, this stuff that he's saying through the prophets is him sharing his heart. What really matters to God? And so that's what we're looking at throughout this time. And the minor prophets aren't called minor because they're, they're not important. They're called minor because they're shorter. I mean, you know, today's minor prophet, Habakkuk, is three chapters. Compared to Isaiah, that's very small, right? So that's why they're called the minor prophets. But I think and I hope that you're seeing God's heart through this series. I've been blessed by what he's done, and I hope that you'll be blessed today. As we go to God's word this morning, I want to pray first. I want us also to pray for uh, women. We, want, we haven't mentioned yet this morning that we have a lot of women from our congregation at the women's retreat this weekend. Does anybody know how many people are there? How many women are there? My wife guessed 50. I don't know if that was high. Maybe that was yesterday when some people went up to visit. But we have a lot of women there this, this weekend, and they're all coming back home, so we want to pray for them. And most of us husbands and dads have survived through the weekend. So, you know, I'll be praying for all of you as well, that you can recover and that your, your house is still in order. Um, and uh, let's just go to him now as we go to his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us here. We thank you for what already, even though I haven't heard everything, already you've done uh, in the lives of the women that gathered uh, at the women's retreat this weekend and uh, grew in their relationship with you and with each other. Lord, we ask that you would give them uh, your protection as they travel back to us and to their families, Lord. As we go to your word this morning, Lord, I just ask that you would open our hearts and minds to what you want to say. Lord, uh, there's a lot of things that uh, happen in our lives before we come into this place each and every Sunday and a lot of other things waiting on the other end. And sometimes we can come in distracted, sometimes we come in tired. There's all kinds of things that the enemy wants to use to take away what you want to do in this time. And Lord, we just want to be a people that devote this time to you, not because it's what we do as Christians, but we devote this time to you because we know that if we seek you, we'll find you and we seek you with all our heart, Lord. So Lord, allow us if we are distracted, if, if we're, we just don't feel like ourselves this morning, Lord, we just ask that your grace would move in this place, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds and our hearts. Spirit, I cannot preach this message alone. I need you. So let me, let me say the words that you want me to say. Give us ears to hear and hearts that are open. Lord, I ask that you would use this time 
to bring about life transformation to each and every one of us so that we can take this message, this greatest message that is the message of Jesus Christ, so we can take it out into the world this week and we can share the love of Jesus with somebody who needs to know him. Lord, we thank you for your, your son. We thank you for grace. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for the freedom to meet together and to do this week after week. So inhabit our praises and move in our midst now in Jesus' name. Amen. Has anybody ever been through a situation in your life or maybe a season of your life where you've doubted God? We just, yeah, we've got some hands. We've got some, we don't have some liars here. That's good. We've got some honest people in church. You know, that's a dangerous thing to ask in church. Am I supposed to raise my hand? I don't know, right? I mean, I actually, honestly, I struggled with that a lot in my life, doubting God, whether I, was, whether I should doubt God or not. I've shared with this several times, and I'm really not going to get into the whole story today, but some of you know that, I, I mean, early on in my life, I experienced tragedy when my mom died and my brother died. And so that was a huge part. It's a huge part of my story. And I would be lying to you if in the season of grief of dealing with that there wasn't doubts of what what's God doing right and that wasn't that wasn't it I I lost a lot of people to death I lost a friend to a car accident in high school I've lost family members this isn't just me I'm sure you have too 10 years as a police officer working I saw so many things so many bad things I saw I saw the the hearts of man and how evil we can be and things that I wish I could forget and there was times where I wondered, where is God? I doubted God. I, I, I know that this says that you're in control, but it doesn't really feel like it all the time, right? And I've gone through seasons where I've asked God to move, and he hasn't, and I'm not exactly sure what he's up to, and he really hasn't ever showed me what he's up to, and that's tough, and I've doubted him. And when I was a teenager, at one point, I was really struggling with a bunch of things that I've mentioned, and, and, I, and I felt like, I was unchristian if I were to doubt God or to ask him why, right? I felt like if you're a good Christian, you just, you know, you buck up and you believe that he's good. And you're, if, you're, if you have doubts, if you have questions, then you're, you're, not gonna, you're not being a good Christian. You're walking out of faith. And I struggled with that. And through that season of life and through people speaking into my life, I learned something that I think is very important, something that I wanted to share with you this morning, and that is that I believe that our doubts matter to God. I think they do. I don't think it's something we have to be afraid of. I think it's something that he actually cares for. The Father's heart is, cares for our doubts, and they matter to him. And I want you to understand, if you hear nothing else from me this morning, I don't believe that faith and, da- faith and doubt are opposites. I don't believe faith and doubt are opposites. I don't. I believe you can have faith and proclaim faith in Jesus and still have doubts. What I think is an opposite of faith, though, is indifference. Indifference is a problem. It's when you have doubts or where things don't go the way they are and you're, and you're indifferent to it. You're like, whatever. And I've seen people have indifference towards it. They've prayed for somebody. They've prayed for somebody to be healed and they weren't healed. And rather than, rather than living in that doubt and taking it to the Lord, they, they had a heart of indifference. They walked away from God. They said, well, God didn't answer my prayers. I don't necessarily know, believe that he's real anymore. And I think that's the opposite of faith is indifference. And, and indifference isn't what we want to go towards. What we want to go towards is stepping in to our doubts because we need to understand, every one of us, our doubts tell a story. They do. 
If you have any doubts in your life, if you ever experienced doubts, behind that doubt is a story. It's something about an experience. They're often rooted in experiences of disappointment or loss when we fell out of control and we cried out to God. Almost all of the cases of my doubt, and when I talk to people about their doubt, they're rooted in these experiences. We don't have, and when we don't experience God's involvement in the way that we had hoped or in the way that we needed, we begin to question. We begin to ask God, did I do something wrong? Is there something I did because I'm not seeing whatever I'm going through? It doesn't make sense to me. We ask God, does God really even care about my situation? Folks, I, can tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've slipped into this. I can't tell you how many times I've wa- talked to people in church. I've talked to people in my office. that are like, yeah, but I'm struggling with them. I'm, I'm doubting this situation and God's movement in it. And I'm not sure. Does God even really care? Right? My job's terrible and I really need a new job. Does God even care that I need a new job? Then my job's terrible. It's miserable. It's a terrible, toxic place. We ask these questions. Sometimes we ask, is God even listening? Am I the only one? Hello, I'm praying to you. Are you hearing anything I'm saying? Are you, are, are you up there, you know, playing golf or something? You, you're blowing me off? Like, what are, where are you, Lord? We're wondering. And some of us, it gets even deeper to the place where we're like, does God even exist? I think that one of the things I want to be as a church here, I want to be our church to be a place that's safe for any conversation. A church that's safe even for our doubts, because I believe the church of Jesus Christ should be the safest place to have any conversation. And I believe our Father's heart, the heart of the Father, is a heart for the doubting. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the doubting. We're going to talk about the doubting through a minor prophet, Habakkuk. Some people say Habakkuk. It's a hard one to pronounce. I say Habakkuk. I don't know if it's right, but that's what I'm going to say it. Right? Habakkuk. Now, we don't know a lot about Habakkuk. Some believe that he lived towards the end of the 7th century, so like 600 BC. Uh, and if he'd lived at that time, that makes him a contemporary of Jeremiah. And Habakkuk's very different. Out of all the minor prophets, there's a difference in Habakkuk compared to the rest of them. You see, all of the rest of the minor prophets, the ones we've talked about already, the ones we've learned about already, are bringing messages to God's people from God. And the reason why Habakkuk's different is because God, or because Habakkuk speaks directly to God with some of his problems, and God speaks directly to him with answers. It's actually like we're being able to, by God's providence, by God wanting us to have this in Scripture, we're actually being able to drop in to a prophet's conversation with God during a terrible time in the history, Israel's history, and hear how a prophet talks to God and what God says back to him. And most of Habakkuk, certainly the first two chapters, chapters one and two, are actually poems of lament, of crying out. And I have to be honest with you. I don't think our churches, I don't think Americans do lament well. Right? We don't. We don't understand that it's actually part of worship, part of following God, to understand we live in a broken world, and we can lament that. We can recognize things aren't the way they should be. And as people of God, we should know that because we know the heart of God who put this world into motion in the way it should have been prior to sin. And so having lament, having struggle, and being able to live into that is a healthy place 
And God and, and Habakkuk are having this conversation because there's a lot of things going wrong in the time that Habakkuk's writing. A lot of problems. And he takes these problems to God, and God responds to him. These first two chapters, it's like I said, it's three chapters, are a back and forth between God. And Habakkuk has two complaints that he brings to God in chapters 1 and 2. And we're going to look at those first. So this is chapter 1, verse 2. It says this. Habakkuk goes straight to God with his doubts, with his struggles. He says, how long, Lord? How long must I call out for help and you do not listen? Have you ever felt that way? How long? Or cry out to you about violence and yet you do not save Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is not a great time, right? He's seeing all of these things and he's just being very honest to God. Why are you not not fixing it? How long do I have to deal with this? I look at it everywhere I look. I turn on the evening news, as we would say, and all I see is conflict and strife and injustice and things the way they shouldn't be. How long, Lord, are you going to let this go? Why do you even tolerate this, he says. This is why the law is ineffective. He's he's actually saying, your Torah, your law, your way of which you said for people to live out as a nation of Israel, we're living out your law, and it's ineffective. And justice never emerges. The wicked restrict the righteous, and therefore, justice comes out perverted. He's calling out. This is pretty harsh words, is it not? This is a guy that's not saying, oh, I can't take my doubts to God. He's actually saying, God, what is up? What's going on? What I see isn't right, and why aren't you doing anything about it? Have you ever done that? Life in Israel at this time was horrible. The law was being violated. There was violence, as you could see, violence and injustice everywhere. And above all, the leadership that was in charge of the country was tolerating it. They were allowing it. They put their stamp of approval. And you know what Habakkuk said? How long? God, do something. Would you fix this? And so God answers. That's pretty cool, right? God answers Habakkuk, and he says this, look, look at the nations that observe. Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Look, observe what's about to happen. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans could also be the Babylonians, Okay, most of us know them as the Babylonians. So here's the picture, just so we're not lost. Habakkuk cries out to God, right? And he says, there's something wrong with our nation. Everything's going wrong. You're a good God. You need to do something about it. Why aren't you doing something about it? And God says, pay attention. I'm about to do something that you wouldn't even believe if you, if you didn't see it for your own eyes. I'm about to raise up the Babylonians to come and destroy the nation, Right? Now, needless to say, this is not the answer that Habakkuk was looking for, right? This is not what he wanted. I mean, he's literally like, okay, so you're summoning the Babylonians, which was another culture in that Middle Eastern time period, a culture, that, another empire that was raised up. They were very powerful, and God's like, this is how I'm going to solve the problems that you see. I'm going to remove my protection from Israel, and I'm going to let them come and wipe you out, Right? Needless to say, Habakkuk doesn't like this answer, right? 
It's like when you, if you went to God and you were like, God, how long are you going to let this jerk of a boss treat me this way? Can you please help me, Lord? I really, how, how long do I have to deal with this? And he says, don't worry, I'm going to have you fired tomorrow. Right? It's like, time out. That's not what I was looking for. Right? That's not the answer. That's what, that's what happened in this conversation. So needless to say, he wasn't happy with that. In fact, what he said to God was, Israel's terrible. Our leaders are terrible. There's injustice everywhere. But the Babylonians are worse. They're worse than even the Israelites. Why would you do this? And this is his answer in verse 12 of chapter 1. God, are you not from eternity, Lord my God, my holy one? You will not die. Lord, you appointed them, the Babylonians, you appointed them to execute judgment, my rock. You destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate long-doing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? Basically saying, listen, how can you, a holy God, use such an evil nation to, to execute your purposes in human history? I mean, I called out to you because of injustice, and now you're going to use people that are even more evil than us. You're going to use people that are more, less righteous than us to swallow us up. This doesn't make sense to me, God. And here he goes on in chapter 1 to talk about the Babylonians. He talks about how they're a very powerful nation to the point where they worship their military might. He goes on and he says, they're so terrible to human beings, they treat humans like animals, is what he says. They don't, even, they don't even uphold the dignity of all people. And he says they devour nations. They have this reputation of devouring nations, completely wiping them out. Why would you do this? And then he says something that's pretty bold. I, I, I gotta, I've never done this. All right? So he calls God out. He says, you know, this is crazy. You're not answering the question I, the way I would want you to answer it. You're going to use these Babylonians to do this. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I, and what I should reply about my complaint. He's literally like, all right, God, so here's the deal. I'm going to stand on the, work, on the lookout tower, and I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to wait until you give me an answer for this. I'm not happy with the answer you've given me already, so now that I've called you out, now that I've told you, you know, you're using an evil nation, I'm going to stand on the lookout tower and just wait for your response. You know what God does? He responds. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says this, The Lord answered me, write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. And though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. So he tells him, get out the tablet and write it down. I got your answer. Write it down, pay attention to it, share it with other people. I'm going to give you an answer so that you will, you'll understand it. And he says, um, my tablet just broke on me here. can't fix it. All right. He says there's going to be a point in time in the future where something's going to happen. And what's going to happen is a promise for me. So I want you to write it down. I want to put you to put all your cards on it and I want you to believe in this. And what does he say? God tells him in the rest of chapter 2, I'm going to bring Babylon down too. I'm going to use them to punish Israel, but then I'm going to bring them down too. 
And he says, you need to put all your cards on this. You need to put all your stakes on this. And then he says in verse 4 this, because the righteous one will live by his faith. The righteous one will put their faith. Basically what God says to Habakkuk is this, though you don't understand what I'm doing, though you think that everything's wrong and the way that I'm solving it is wrong too, you need to understand, you need to write it down, you need to put your faith in it, that I am in control and that what I am doing is perfect. And in the middle of it, while you're still struggling with doubt, while you don't have all the answers, I'm asking you, Habakkuk, to put your faith in me because the one who is righteous, the one who is right will, with God will live by this faith. And he goes on and he tells him, you see, there's something you need to understand. He says this in chapter 2. There's something you need to understand about Babylon. Babylon is just like any other nation. And there's a nation that, that nation after nation, all over time, this is what happens. A nation rises up and they put all of their trust in money. They put all of their trust in wealth. They put all of their trust in military power. They treat people as they shouldn't be treated, and they fall in love with that and who they are, and then they fall to another nation, and it's this never-ending cycle of greed and revenge and the rise and fall of many, many nations, and it goes on and on throughout all eternity. And he says to Habakkuk, and Babylon's just like this. It's a corrupt nation. And I understand you're upset that I'm using a corrupt nation to punish Israel for their disobedience towards me. But what you understand is even if I use them to bring judgment on, in, on Israel, it doesn't mean that I've endorsed them and what they do. In fact, I promise you that at the end of their usefulness to me, I will pour out my justice on Babylon and I will pour out my justice on them and any other nation that acts like them. I will pour out my justice on any other nation that oppresses. And in verse two, he actually, or in chapter two, he actually goes, God goes into these five woes. Woe to this, woe to that. And these five woes are woes, or God's saying, I, it, it, it bad for any other nation that lives the way that Babylon does. He says, I'm going to bring judgment to any nation that uses unjust economic practices, any nation that uses slave labor, any nation that has irresponsible leaders that put their money and their time into sex and drinking and all these other things. I'm going to bring judgment to them. I'm going to bring any judgment to any nation who pursues idolatry, who pursues making money over taking care of people, who pursues power and the national security as their God. I will pursue any nation like this because they're Babylons and they're actually choosing to worship these things rather than me. And he says, and even though I'm using them right now, I don't endorse them, but I see what's happening, Habakkuk, and what you need to understand, what you need to write down, what you need to write down on your heart as much as a tablet, is that I'm in control, and I'm asking you to put faith in me that this will not go on forever. And Habakkuk, again, he asks God a question. He says to God in chapter 3, verse 2, he says, But Lord, I've heard the report about you, Lord. I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. 
He's still struggling with this. He says, okay, I understand, God. I understand there's, there's this cycle and that anyone that chooses these, these other cycles of these nations, anyone that chooses to pursue these things rather than you, you're gonna destroy. They're gonna have judgment upon them and you're calling us as a nation to, to repent of the way we act and to follow you. And even though you use Babylon, they're gonna go down and all of the Babylons of the world are gonna go down. But God, and I don't know if you've ever been here, but God, I understand I can live by faith. I can believe that one day everything I'm dealing with is very is going to be made new. I can believe as a Christian right now that all of the struggle, all of the pain, all of the diagnoses, all of the people that I pray for and they're not healed, all of the injustice I see in the world, all of the sex trade that I see, all of these things all over the world, I can believe, I can, I can believe, and I have faith, 100% faith, that one day God's going to come back and he will say, behold, I make all things new. I believe that with all my heart, but sometimes I'm like Habakkuk. Sometimes I'm like Habakkuk. You've heard me say it. Sometimes I say, God, I've heard the report about you, and I stand in awe of the way you've moved in the past, and I understand that one day you're going to make all things right, but guess what, God? My heart cries out to you right now to make it happen now in these years. That's what Habakkuk says. I can have faith in that, but I want it right now. Ever been there? And, but then Habakkuk does something really awesome, something I think we all need to learn from him. As he lives in this tension, this tension of doubting, this tension of seeing these things, crying out to God, not getting answers he necessarily wants, God's saying to have faith that I am in control. Even in this, he lives in this tension where he says, God, I believe in you. I know your power. I know your strength. I believe everything I've ever read about you. I want you to do it right now. He goes into this, in chapter three, this poem, this hymn. It's actually a song about God's power, about God's greatness. And he basically is saying through this, he's saying, nevertheless, even if this doesn't happen, I am gonna put all of my trust and all of my cards on you. Even in the middle of the tension of, I don't know what you're up to. Even in the tension of, you're not doing what I'm crying out for right now. He gives us a beautiful example through his words, Habakkuk does, of what does it mean for a man or a woman to live by faith. And at the end of the book, at the end of the book, we see this. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there's no fruit on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He plants a flag in the ground and he says, even though the world around me is crumbling, I don't put my trust in my situation or my circumstances. I put my trust in the God who created the world and I will put everything on him because I believe when he says one day he will make it all right, that he will stand with his promise. I believe in that. Even though all this stuff's going wrong, but I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the middle of the struggle in God of my salvation, the God who saves. He's a great example. But he's also an example of someone who's doubting, somebody who's struggling. I want you to hear this. This is, I think we could learn a lot from Habakkuk if we're in seasons of life like he was. 
in seasons where we're crying out. I think Habakkuk tells us that the Father's heart is for the doubting and that we as ones who worship him are called, even in the midst of that tension, to doubt forward. What do I mean by doubt forward? I mean rather than choosing indifference, rather than choosing to walk away, Rather than walking away from God, believing that he's not a good God, believing that he's, he's out for you, he's out for your family, believing that everything you heard in church, believing everything you heard in this, read in his word is a lie, rather than doing that, it's like doing what I just read in the psalm earlier. It's about stepping in. It's about leaning forward. It's about seeking him. It's about saying, even when all these things seem wrong, I'm going to rejoice in you. I'm going to put my trust in you. I am going to move forward, and I'm going to move toward to you because I believe even when things are at their worst that you want me near to you, and the closer I get to you, the more I will put my trust in you rather than in myself or the way that I see things. Habakkuk, that's what Habakkuk does. He doubts forward time and time again. And this is what I think God understands about us. He understands that our doubts show honest engagement with God. The scriptures say his ways are not our ways, right? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so there's going to be times when we deal with things in this life, folks, that aren't going to make sense to us. Because here's a, here's a newsflash. We're not God. But God's okay with us engaging him with our honest questions, our honest doubts. Habakkuk said, how long do I have to deal with this? How long do I deal with this? I don't understand. Will you help me? I think one of the perfect examples of this is in the Gospels in Matthew, or in Mark chapter 9. Jesus and the disciples are on the Mount of Transfiguration and they come down and there's a man with his son there and the man, you know this story, and the man goes to Jesus and he says, your disciples try to cast out this demon inside of my son and it didn't work. He's got this problem where he goes into seizure, sometimes he even throws himself into fire. If you can, will you please do something? And Jesus' response to the man is, if you can Everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Folks, your doubts are honest engagement with God. You can say, I live in this life and I believe, God, that you're in control, but help me overcome my unbelief. How long do I have to wait? Holy Spirit, give me the faith to step into this even though I don't understand it. Don't walk away from God's step and doubt forward. Not only that, I think when we're doubting, Jesus invites us to come closer. God invites us to come closer. I think the greatest way that we can see this in the book of Habakkuk is that when Habakkuk cries out to God, he doesn't blow him off, does he? He, he keeps having conversations with him. He keeps inviting him. His greatest invitation, I believe, in the book of Habakkuk is is chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, nevertheless, the righteous one will live by faith. Trust me, he says. Trust me. God's inviting us to step towards, and when we're in doubt, he invites us closer. One way we see this through Jesus, who, you know, is God in the flesh, is when Thomas, after Jesus' resurrection, wasn't there when the other 11 or other 10 saw Jesus, Right? Jesus comes back and he he visits them in the upper room and Thomas comes a little later. 
You know the story? And they say to him, they say to him, oh, we saw Jesus. He's alive. You remember what Thomas said? He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put the finger where the nails were and I put my hand to his side, I will not believe. And we as Christians like to pick on Thomas. In fact, we call him Doubting Thomas, right? Because he doubted, because he didn't believe it. He didn't see it with his own eyes. But I don't call him Doubting Thomas. You know what I would call him? I would call him Faithful Thomas, who's willing to do something when Jesus shows up. You know what he's willing to do? Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here in my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. You understand, if you doubt forward in your doubting, and if you believe that God is inviting your honest engagement, if you understand that God of the universe, in the doubts and the struggle of your life, is actually inviting you closer, someone needs to hear this this morning. Whatever you're dealing with, he is literally saying to you, come here, see my hands. Come closer, put your hand in my side. Understand that the scars that I bear were for you and they are promises that the way that things are now are not the way they should be, but I have a physical sign now in my body that one day everything will be as it should be. So come closer, child. Look at the evidence. Seek me and you will see that I've done everything. In fact, I've died. So it's okay to doubt, but come closer. Don't push me aside. Come closer to me. One of the things that helped me, and I think we see it in Habakkuk, is that when we're in doubt, we're also called to remember God's prior faithfulness. You know, I've, uh, I know that you probably remember it when Habakkuk says in verse 2 of chapter 3, Lord, I've heard the report about you, Lord. I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. Folks, I will tell you, there's nothing that helps me more in places and spaces in my life where I don't see God working. And the times where I'm disappointed and the times where I'm doubting, where I allow myself to remember the things that he did do. Remember the times where I thought my circumstances were dire and yet I look back on them and I understand his hand was guiding the whole thing. You ever been there? It's one of the reasons I journal. It's one of the reasons I journal. I can look back. I can look back on times where it was like, God, if this doesn't work out, I don't know what we're going to do. And we cried out to him and he came through. And it allows me in the moments of my struggle to look back at his prior faithfulness and have faith that he will come through. Whether it's the way I see it, whether it's the way I want it, I still see oftentimes he doesn't give me what I want, but he always gives me what I need. That's who he is. Habakkuk asks us, he invites us, I think, to see a father whose heart's for the doubting, who calls us to doubt forward. Please don't. And your doubts and your struggles and your pains and the diagnosis that just doesn't make sense, allow your circumstances to overshadow the power of your Savior and push away a God who wants to engage you in your doubts. Push away a God who wants you to come closer. Push away a God who's been faithful in the past and promises. He told Habakkuk, write it down because you won't believe it unless you see it. Write this down. 
I will do as I promised. And your call is to live by faith. That's who our God is. If you're doubting, if you're struggling, we have a father whose heart is for you. But he says, doubt forward. Doubt toward me. And maybe, just maybe, if you get there, you'll be able to say the same thing Habakkuk did. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there's no fruit on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. In other words, though everything I see seems to be wrong, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk doesn't say we ignore the doubts. Habakkuk doesn't say we have pie in the sky fake Christianity. It says that we struggle there, but we worship a God who meets us there. And as we doubt toward him, his presence and his invitation of drawing us close will allow us in the midst of waiting for him to move, celebrate him and rejoice in him, the God of our salvation. See, our Father's heart's for the doubting. And if you're doubting, Our God's bigger than your doubts. And he's inviting you today to doubt forward because that's who our Father is. Let's pray. Father, you are a good Father. And in a room this size, there may not be many, but I know that there's people that are right now in the midst of it. Whatever it is, they're struggling, they're wrestling. Things aren't as they should be or they don't make sense, at least to them. There's people in this room that within the last week, I know how to have cried out, how long, Lord? How long must I wait for you? Why don't you do something? Holy Spirit, I would just ask that you administer to their hearts right now. And that they would feel the invitation from you, Lord, to doubt forward. To engage you in their doubts. To step toward you, because you're inviting them closer. To pick up the word and see how you are a God who's got a track record of being faithful and always keeps his promises. And that they would continue to doubt forward and that your presence would hold them in your hands so that one day they would see that they never walked alone. We love you, Lord. We're so thankful that you're bigger than our doubts and our struggles. And we ask you, Lord, to enter into those places in our lives right now and breathe hope and breathe faith so that the righteous will live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.